0: mama said that it was okay mama said that it was quite all right i kind of people had a bed for the night and it was okay mama
1: told us we hello i'm jensen kids. beeler and i'm quentin wilson
0: and together we are the two enthusiast podcast two enthusiast podcast gotta collect them all <laughs> oh. collecting all the braps
1: <laughs> all right kind of
0: there's so, many, there's so many stupid idiots running around my neighborhood playing that Pokemon Go shit. At 4 a.m., I
1: might add. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got nothing for you. I don't really... Them damn kids. Uh, well, you say kids, but uh, the only time I've seen somebody that was 100% sure of it was at an intersection in downtown Portland, and it was a middle-aged woman flinging, flinging her finger at her screen. At something, right? And I was certain of it, and it was just middle-aged. Was she in the middle of the intersection? No, she was actually on the side. But I think she she wanted to be there, but my car was there, so she wasn't there. I didn't I didn't look behind me. I try not to look back.
0: That I could kind of understand. I could kind of. I mean, I don't understand, but like I can I can I can totally visualize what you just said and be like, yeah, that's downtown Portland. Yeah, totally. Sure. Middle-aged
1: woman, probably like three three p.m. Just doing her thing. Yeah. Just. Uh, I could be at work. I was on my way back from collecting something or going somewhere. It was the middle of work week. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was.
0: All I got to say is like that game must be super fun. Yeah, sure. Like it just must be like we're missing out by not playing it because there's so many stupid people doing things with that. It has to be super fun.
1: Are they stupid though? Why do you have to be like that?
0: (sighs) Because they're walking into traffic and getting hit by cars. So yeah, they're stupid. Okay. Okay. Like the when, ones that when are police doing departments wrong. have to like issue warnings about how to play Pokemon Go, and like people are breaking into people's backyards to like catch a Balthazar or whatever their things are called. Uh, that's yeah, they're they're stupid by definition. Like that is res, res ipsa loquitur. You are stupid.
1: Oh, what was that? Was that that's some fucking Latin? What that wow, is. Wow, you just threw down Latin. What was it? What did we say it again?
0: Res ipsa
1: loquitur. What does that mean? The
0: thing speaks for itself. Okay, it's a it's a lawyer thing.
1: Yeah, I know. Caveat emptor. That's just good advice. (laughs) Res
0: judicata. I can I can go all day. That's that's pretty much one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of education. It's just teaching you ten choice Latin phrases that are fun to say at cocktail parties. Anywho, meanwhile motorcycles. Yep. Res, ipsa, brapator. <laughs> <Bam! laughs> all right. I feel well, a little sluggish. We had all that Thai food. I'm just like ready to go to sleep, but yeah. I got enough Mountain
1: Dew in me. Yeah, I you got to wait go. for the Mountain Dew to kick in to overcome the blood rushing to your stomach. There has to be some sort of a fight. That's an internal fight. Yeah, we're going to have to like
0: stop this podcast midway through so I can have a nap. <laughs> just a little food coma nap. <laughs> all my carbs.
1: All right, so we ha- we this is essentially a second yes. of a two- Show kind of a two part thon yeah, right. Because we have we have been uh remiss. The royal we have been remiss the royal. We. I was
0: gonna say like that's that's very noble of you to include yourself <laughs> on that because I'm
1: pretty <laughs> sure it's 109 my fault. Okay, so but we start. We talked about a lot of European adventures and whatnot last time. No, we no, didn't talk about no, no, This we is we the European adventure. The, sorry, we talked about your American adventures, and now American. we're about to get into the European adventures. Yes. All right. Well then how did that go you went to italy twice Twice. within the next last (laughs) three weeks yeah within like a it like a two-week period i think i went to italy twice with a little
0: stop in california in between all right so tell us about it okay so the first trip i was out there for world ducati week and i also had an interview with claudio Domenicali, who's the ceo of ducati uh we actually did the interview first and then rode from bologna to massano which is basically <clears throat> opposite ends of the country, but going west to east.
1: Not really opposite ends. Mm. Bologna is Bologna's kind of in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I always
0: think of Bologna being like more on the west though. No. Yeah. Not even by a long shot as Bologna. Well, no, I in the mean, west. look
1: at it geographically, you're right. I but culturally. Yeah, sure. There's it, a definite. You're right. There. Once different. you get to Rimini, once you get to oh yeah, Rimini, Passero, whatever Rimini, all that area, you get to Rimini
0: and the man is just alive and well. <laughs> I've never seen so many dudes in like bikini briefs. Not just like oh hey, he's wearing a banana hammock. I mean like the like you can see the entire leg because it's just a string between his crotch and his butt.
1: Anybody with one of those Mangini. that just is like one side? The one-sided where you... Oh, you know, those where look just look goes like around a banana. the nut? Ni- oh.
0: Yeah. Oh. Oh. oh, my God. That's such a bad mental image. Oh. Oh. Oedipus. Oedipus. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh. Okay, so none of those. Uh, but, was a lot of, there was a lot of those. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how to like tackle that one. This, but,
1: so this is the Adriatic coast, for those who don't know. The, right. Not too far away from Bologna um stones throw across the water to croatia yeah that puts it in perspective sure i think a lot of people would be like cool I place no though cool yeah.
0: place. i love the rim the rim, rim, rimini adriatic coast it is gorgeous like if if i had to like plop down in italy somewhere i think that's where it'd be just chill vibe it's kind of like the california of italy like it's just very chill everyone's just there doing their beach thing and like the cool thing is too like italy can be very we use the word superficial but very image oriented and it was really cool to like just like walk around and just see like 70 year old grandmas like in their bikinis giving zero shits about what their body looks like and just like it's hot i'm going to the beach take yeah. a look if you want to i don't care so 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 to bring this around in like a, a motorcycle example <clears throat> this is the area that valentino rossi is from yeah sure t- 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 of-
1: is that how you say it tavula Tavulia. tavula yeah yep
0: probably All Sure, right, whatever um which motor- isn't which isn't far away. But people always used to contrast Rossi with Biaggi being like oh, Rossi. Rossi's from the coast, he's yeah. from the Adriatic. Biaggi's from the Roman city metropolitan. He likes his celebrities, Rossi likes his goofing around and his fun. And that's that's, you can that's see very why. much a, a construct and very much a stereotype, but also rooted in truth.
1: Sure. And you can see it with Simoncelli who was from right there as well. Right. right. And there's just a laid back Let's have a good time but I want to get down to business vibe. Right? And and you get there so I the time that I got to go there was to go to the Andreani workshop which I think was in Pesaro. Pesaro I don't know how to say it. And which is uh, where Benelli is based out of. Yeah, right. So Benelli Moto Morini um some- in well, when, when Motor Marini was. Oh, okay. uh, and that, there's a couple of others that are in. Well, Bimota is Rimini. So there's, right. a, there's a little, that's like Motor Coast instead of Motor Valley. They call right. Bologna area the Motor Valley. And um, CRC,
0: the design center that fuels yep. MV and TM, is based T- out there.
1: TM, the dirt bike, oh, are they I, really? I'm pretty sure is like right there. Uh. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Side note, did you know there's a TM dealer just like down the street? No. Yeah. We no. gotta go check
0: it out sometime. If it's Bozarth, it's like on 82nd.
1: Yeah, I think there's a there's a dude named Bozarth, if that's him. That might be right. All well, right, we'll have to sort it out. Anyway, this area has a deep history of all kinds of interesting stuff, uh, motorcycling-wise. And there's a company called Andriani that makes fork kits that has been a suspension entity for a very long time. We um, flirted with their components at Graves Yamaha back in 2005, 2006, somewhere around in there. Uh, shock, like like they make their own shocks and internal four kits, like easily rival Olin's, but they're also a huge Olin's dealer and you name the suspension company, but they also make their own stuff. So it's a very interesting dynamic. And we got to go to their um, their uh, outfit in, in that area and it was really fun. And we got to learn a lot and they actually have a, a learning uh, facility and which is what we were doing at the time. They had invited the Ducati service people, at least the English speakers, to go to this place and uh, do a class, which is kind of a basic um, uh, how motorcycle suspension works, and then disassembly, reassembly style. It was really cool. So I'll, my experience there with that was, again, in a wintertime setting. So we got to go to the coast and stay at a hotel on the coast, and it was gorgeous, but it was cold, so it wasn't like go to the beach, right? Yeah, and You be- can imagine it was pretty bleak there at that time of year.
0: Well, I've been there that time of year. That's I was going to say, Like I've been to the Adriatic uh coast before but it was definitely in i think november 2014-ish but it was the winter and it was just shitty cold rainy windy yeah but still kind of cool yeah sure got to do a little exploring but um
1: we're both fortunate people for knowing and being ready to be able to go there right
0: absolutely and then to go there in the middle of the summer oh man i love being in, i love being near the coast I love being on the beach so that was cool it's a cool beach town cool beach area Great location for like a motorcycle thing. Just a great location to have to go to for some sort of event to get to go to. To get to go to, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um Misano, the circuit, really is only like 15 minutes from the coast. Yeah, it's amazing. Which is a great, great spot to be. And then, so World Ducati Week just takes over the Misano World Circuit, Marco, Marco Simoncelli. Which is and the you, whole, when you said you name. rode there. Did you actually ride with Domenicali? we did we actually so that was in bologna we rode around from the headquarters we took this little road up to the top of the hill where it's something saint the church luca, i believe yeah. it's the patron saint of yeah. the town the 666 <clears throat> steps to the top there probably is we didn't mm-hmm. we 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 were smart we were on a motorcycle but there's a the
1: cool. madonna there's like de luca right a, there we go thank yeah. you it's just a really pretty thing. It kind of lords over all of Bologna. Yeah. You see it up on the hill, and there are 666 steps if you walk it. I know I've done it. Well, it's that's rad.
0: the that's the thing I didn't I, I didn't know my Bologna history is bad. I lived in Florence, um, so I know my Tuscany, but I don't know my uh, Emilio Romano sure. history very well. But there's a um, covered not tunnel, but covered walkway that goes from the P- city Portico. center. Yeah, goes from the city center all the way up the hill to this place and that was just cool because we were basically riding along that yep and um super super scenic super cool we had lunch at the top there's a little restaurant did a little interview and that should be on asphalt and remember it was just you and him just claudio and i and then like the, you, the pr people who were eavesdropping what were you riding i was on was i on the multi i think i saw the multi yeah i was on the multi and i think he was on an ex Dowl. Huh. So, so, yeah. So that's that because that's when I picked up my multi because so I was on a multi for that whole week to get from Bologna to World Ducati Week and then to ride to World Ducati Week. I was on the multi in enduro. And he, so we had to wait for him at the uh, factory to to meet up because we got there a little early. And he rides in on a scrambler and then like hops on the next Diablo and we go, we go up to have lunch and then dinner interview. And was he then, in all the gear all the time? I'm trying to think. He had his leathers on. I think he had. I think he had proper shoes.
1: He might have had jeans. Um, I'm just curious. But like yeah, a helmet. When you think of like a captain of industry style guy that is like the head of Ducati and he's riding around the I would, say, I in would say he
0: was the Italian version of Atgat. Okay. Well, you know, if you know what I'm saying. I'd almost
1: be disappointed if he had full all the gear, all the time look on him. <laughs> I'd be like, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, no. He, um, yeah, it was definitely, I would call it definitely the Italian version of, of Atgat. So yeah, we did the interview, had lunch, and then we went for a little ride in like this little this little hillside area. And then like we just kind of stop at this gate. And I'm like, "All right, what's going on? Is this where you're going to hide my body or what?" And he and we he turns off the bike and I turn off my bike. He goes, "This isn't like scheduled, but I've got Troy Bayless staying at my house and I figured you just want to meet Troy Bayless. So if you want, we can go, we can go do that." And I'm like, "Sure. I'm not going to Troy Bayless is awesome. I've never met Troy Bayless. So I want to meet Troy Bayless. Let's do that. So we go in, go to his house. Does he live in an opulent house? No, that's the thing, right? I, I wouldn't expect it. That's, Seriously? That's like, he's definitely living. You know, that was like, that was the thing that was interesting, like getting there and being like, all right, I'm going to go see the, the house of the CEO of Ducati. And it's very much like, yeah, he lives at the top of a hill and like a nice area with beautiful views and all that. But the house is, I can't imagine his house is much bigger than mine, to be honest it's nice it's modern it's newish looking uh i mean i wouldn't be able to peg the date on you but i mean it's under 10 years old probably but it's not big it's not ostentatious it's not what you would expect from like an american ceo of
1: course not of like no, sure
0: i'm just trying to like think of but like i'm just saying like ceo of harley davidson ceo of polaris okay. like like scott wine probably has just this sprawling maze of a house whereas claudio is just like like typical italian house it's just small and efficient but nice and so, we go out, and he's got a pool in the backyard, and his kids, and Troy's son, and I think some of their friends are out playing. And <laughs> that is so rad. Troy's Troy's <laughs> wife, um, <laughs> Kim, is there, and they're like, "Oh, Troy just took a nap. Let me go wake him up." And I'm like, "Ah, uh, you don't have to wake up Troy Wayless for me. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm cool.
1: Like, yeah. don't want to be a dick. I like seeing the house. This that'd be enough." I'll like, probably I'll, meet him this coming week. When
0: I retell this story to other people, Troy's awake and we had a great time. Okay. Like, don't worry. I'll make, it, I'll, yeah. I'll make it up. So they go and wake up Troy. And he comes out, and he's just the coolest, normal, regular dude. And we're just talking, sitting around the, the picnic table in, in Claudio's backyard. And I look at the, the middle of the table, and there's this Springfield Armory 1911 just sitting on the table. Really? Like, not in a case? Not in a case, just... Out in the open, and I'm just kind of going like, all right. That's this, really weird. This is how I'm going to go. I'm going to die <laughs> in Italy after meeting <laughs> Troy Bayless, and I'm totally cool with it. I'm totally cool. <laughs> like That's just like, if I had to pick the way to go, that's it.
1: That's fine. I'm and, just impressed that you could identify a 1911.
0: I mean, it's an iconic design. I mean, I'm not the big gun nut, but I know, yeah. my, I know my stuff. Okay, fair enough.
1: My stuff. And I'm looking sure. at
0: it, and I'm just kind of like. Was it cocked? <laughs> I don't remember if it was. I just remember being like like slightly alarmed, just like like the 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 safety bulb in my head's going off. Like, I don't think you should be
1: leaving that around.
0: Like, and these kids are. I,
1: I'd be thinking, is that, how is that legal in Italy?
0: Well, when we get to it. So his kid's like 12, 15, like young teenager, and Troy's kid's about the same age, and their friends are all on the same age. I'm like, really? You guys got like a gun leaving, even out this gun around all these teenagers? Like, you know, this is literally how people lose an eye. And, and like, it's sitting there for like five, 10 minutes. And like, finally, I'm just like, Hey, I don't want to be like, like the weirdo about it, but like, there's totally a gun on the table. Like what the hell's going on? <laughs> and, and Troy's wife is like, Oh, you know, like we just wanted you Americans. I just want to make you feel comfortable. And like, Claudia just grabs the gun, you know, clears it, looks down the barrel, puts it back on the table. And I'm like, okay, so you know how to, you know what you're doing with a firearm. And two, I realize it's a BB gun.
1: Okay. It's one of those like yeah, super yeah. realistic yeah, yeah, sure. BB guns. And then, like, does this, do you see the, is there a red end on it?
0: I don't think there was, though. Yeah. Was I thing. can
1: see that in Italy. They're like, no, 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 we don't need well, these things. So,
0: so the story goes something like, like, Troy's kid brought it there, but they have to leave it because they can't get yeah. it into Australia because Australia's like, fuck guns. Australia got rid of the guns in the 90s, I think. Huh. So they yeah, can't, yeah, sure. like, they can't even bring it in the luggage, even though it's a yeah, BB yeah, gun. Yeah. So, like, yeah. And that and that's like, I like think Troy was saying it or, or Troy's wife was like, "Oh yeah, Claudio, we forgot to tell you we're totally leaving that here with you because like that's just not going to fly." They bought Literally. it there though. They bought it in like somewhere else. They stopped like in Eastern, in Europe, Eastern Europe, or okay. something All silly right, like sure. that. Well, that's really strange. Oh, it's the weirdest thing. The entire time, just going like, I don't want to be like the the
1: square or anything, but like there's totally a gun on the table. I thinking about Claudio. Who I am fortunate enough to have met multiple times working for Ducati. Just thinking of him clearing a gun, right? Because even even that, even that feeling. I mean, you and I can do it because we we shoot guns or we have shotguns. But before I knew how, it is a very strange thing to you know the 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 mechanical aspect of a gun. You got to know. Just thinking of him going like click clink and then. You know, nonchalantly putting it down. That, that would, was that was the thing bizarre. that struck
0: me the most. Like the first thing was like, okay, there's a gun on the table. That's really weird. I'm in Italy. There shouldn't be guns here. And two is just like how expertly he'd done it. And I was just like, huh, this is not the first time you've done this. Noted. Yeah. So right. that was cool. Had a good interview with him. Ah, uh, wow. We've covered so many things. I don't know if we can get through all of it on the show. But big bullet points would be Ducati's not for sale. Uh, really?
1: Because, you know, I, I've read it a bunch of times that they're for sale. Did you read like that Bloomberg? Audi, Audi's going to sell it, right? Yeah. Uh, we tried to get new. Is Harley going
0: to buy it? <laughs> that would be something. Oh, man. Let's start that rumor. You heard it first on the Two Enthusiast podcast. But the other way around, Ducati buying Harley. Oh Yeah, it would be yeah. it. That All would right. be it. Right. Just
1: <laughs> Absolutely. That's like the sure.
0: VW Porsche thing where like every like few years or whatever, Porsche tries to like overtake VW uh-huh. and vice versa. it's like, what are you guys doing? Germans silly Germans anyways um wouldn't give any really details about the new superbike we talked about new superbike so <laughs> so no there will be no new
1: superbike for the 2017 model year so the 50th or sorry 90th anniversary anniversary uh that will be That would be the the fanciest thing that comes out. That's the limited edition. There will still be the $12.99 in it. So there's no Desmosedici V4 coming out in 2017? Right. 2018, though, depending... Claudio
0: Claudio was good enough, and I think Claudio's official answer was uh, that Ducati
1: isn't married to the V twin engine design. But didn't that was a, there was a press release within the past couple of years that was like, never, ever, never, ever. No V4. No 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 V4 bad. Well, definitely No four cylinder bad bad four four cylinder bads. No triples. It's well, gotta be twin, 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 twin. Well right? that was the
0: thing. That was the thing. So he was saying like, you know, we're not married to the V twin engine design, but we think V twin engines do a lot of things right. Yep. They're in primary balance, they're very narrow. We've learned how to make them very compact. We've learned how to make good horsepower out of them. We've learned how to make them lightweight. So there's that. Uh, talking to people outside of the official Ducati channels, very much seems like 2018 we will see a V4 Superbike. So and,
1: and it only makes sense. I mean, they, they're they beating their heads against the wall trying to make a twin well, work. Well, in it's not at so like… RPM, at, at the CC size that they have to, to be… Competitive.
0: I think if there wasn't like a minimum weight for World Superbike, I think then the V twin makes a lot more sense because you can make a Panigale. I mean, we saw it, we saw it with the Superleggera. You can make a V twin really freaking light, and that's where that's one of the advantages of that engine design. When you start adding like a V four or an inline four, like it, the mass starts to increase. It up.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's that big of a deal. I I, I seriously I don't I don't think.
0: Well, that's what the chassis, that's what the, the quote unquote frameless chassis provides for them,
1: yeah. But I could, th- I think you could do a similar thing with a V4. It was just maybe, be, maybe I, I don't I think it all washes out even with an inline four. I, I think the Japanese have done a pretty good job of slimming them down. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because uh, to have a V twin like that, that crankshaft well, the super is super light, but it's still a big, heavy part of the engine. The engine cases have to be heavy relative, If it's a big. It's a big lump, um, especially with a twin, because you have to uh, have stuff to compensate for those huge pistons and uh, and rods. So I don't know. It's a it's a great question. It's like why right now? What is the advantage? Well, it's not an advantage. You have to have twelve hundred cc twin to even get close to the thousand cc fours, and even then, it's not quite good enough. I don't think because that's proving over and over that Kawasaki is just it's a better bike and well no. I'd,
0: the only thing i'd say counter to that and this is why i always hate like using especially like superbike as a uh, tape measure for these things because it, 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 it comes down to how much is your racing budget right. how much you're development have right. you put into it what's no, what are your right. marketing priorities and sure. kawasaki is outspending everyone in superbike by a good by a good margin because they're not a moto gp and, and and they have jonathan ray who's just a fucking machine in fact great interview today on asphalt and rubber with Jonathan Ray, that um our buddy
1: Kent Brockman did fantastic interview. Everyone should go read it. So, bottom line, Ducati Superbikes. You got a rumor. There's rumors of running freaking rampant. Then it's V4. Yeah, there's or a, lot of, a four-cylinder of some sort, or more than just a twin, or whatever it is. Well, time he, will tell. And he wouldn't. He was non-committal. Well, I literally so said, about like,
0: what well, can you tell me about the the new Superbike? He said nothing. I was like, really? And he goes, yes. That's pretty spot on to exactly what was said
1: <laughs> sure and and just so everybody knows it's been uh, 2012 was when the panigale came out it's been out five years now so well in model years yeah for 2017 so that's you know in this day and age it's not that bad you know in 2005 that was bad when the 999 stuck around like the pariah it was um that that was a problem. That was a huge failure for Ducati to have that 999 for as many years from 03 to 07. It was really bad. But the Japanese at the time were were coming up with at least basic redesigns every couple of years.
0: Yeah, um, that was that was back when every 2 years was like a model refresh.
1: Now, we're not having to deal with that. No. And nobody has to. And so Ducati, which makes a bike that has a little bit longer legs, literally and figuratively, a bike that's more timeless looking, doesn't doesn't age, and they don't have as much built-in planned obsolescence as the Japanese do. So an R1 comes out, and everybody's all goo-goo and gaga for it, but that's an ugly piece of shit-looking motorcycle. I'm sorry, it's just not pretty. (laughs) And it'll it'll lend itself to the next redesign. The next redesign hopefully won't be as ugly. The last R1 was ugly as... I mean, it looked like the Predator, like full-on, you are one ugly motherfucker, right? Horrible horrible looking motorcycle whereas, Get all the to rest the is, <laughs> whereas all the all the r1s previous were just gorgeous they were they were they were timeless they look good now they would look good if you came out with it right now maybe with a little bit fancier stuff on it same with the panigale it looks good it's going to be timeless so they're not as much backed into a corner of having to make something look completely different every time in order yeah. to improve
0: on it that's because ducati actually hires designers Oh, did I just say that? I just say the burn. That's a Japanese burn. Oh, burn! What oh, do, you, what burn do they so do? Hard. They
1: have to have designers of some sort. Or do you do. think it's no, so they, they just totally use, use engineers to wrap? No, shit? no,
0: no, no. It's just it's different philosophies. It's different groups. It's different cultures. It's different demographics. No, I get it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not hating. There's definitely some some good looking bikes that come out of Japan. Just few um, and far
1: between, relative to the Italians, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. That's not to say like every you know every now and then Italy comes out with a Bimota Mantra and you're just like oh Jesus. Dude, burled walnut dash.
2: Oh my <laughs> awesome. The I bike.
0: Love them. I was thinking about that the other day, and I was just like God, that bike's ugly. I posted up a picture. Yeah, of my that. little toy collection yeah. that I have at work. And I was that waiting for been. some
1: hate. Nobody fucking. nobody Because no, I'm no, of hate. I know arguing with bait. you.
0: Was like a just. It's just like banging my head against a wall. You have no design taste whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Look at how you dress. Look at you. You're wearing cargo <laughs> shorts. <laughs> are yours not cargo shorts? These are workout shorts. I'm, uh, I'm sporty. Oh, that's right. You're sporty <laughs> I'm hella, spice. I'm hella sporty spice in that right now. <laughs> uh, Let's get to other 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 bullet Ducati Claudio. Uh, what else can I talk about? There's something I don't think I can talk about, and then there's other stuff. Like one of the cool things we did talk about was kind of new technologies. Looking at like, would
1: like, you say ha- haps something? Haptic, haptic,
0: haptic technology. I definitely think. I don't, have, I don't. I don't have like a real concrete thing. Other than he just said like, you know, Dicotti's looking at haptics and interconnectivity and things well, like that. Like I would explain
1: haptics in a uh, what the definition of a haptics is and then give an example.
0: Anyone that's ever played a modern video game is, has a controller with haptics inside of it. So, like, you go and you're f- shooting and, like, the controller. The feedback exactly. steering wheel exactly. for
1: playing a road car game. The force feedback is the haptics. That's haptics. So, and if you have a joystick that is acting on you in some way other orb. than you. can, So, my Atari 2600 joystick was not, so not so haptic. No, it was not
0: happening. All right. Haptic. 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 Oh, damn it. <laughs> I'm, I'm too Mountain Dew drunk to be able to do that.
1: I mean, I don't know anything. on um, What the hell would you do with a motorcycle? What would you do? I do you think you, vibrate when you're actually about did to a crash? Story, I
0: actually did a story about this. Like, I think this is one of the next, the next things. Like, there's so many applications. You could have the seat tap you or vibrate you when you're getting to a certain limb angle. Like For me, like Dakar Rally like totally makes sense that you would have haptic feedback um, for, for uh, compass and geolocation services and things like that. There's this really interesting study they did Man, this was like almost two decades ago. They made a haptic belt that basically just had these little vibrators 360 degrees around your waist. It'd tell you where to go. And all it did, no, 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 all it did was vibrate in the direction of true north. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It would tell you where to go. Well, no, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't directions. It wasn't telling you where to go. It was just following true north. And they realized like people, especially people in big cities where there's skyscrapers and you don't really have a good reference to where the sun is. So you don't have mm-hmm. a good east-west reference. Sure. They would have much better uh physical awareness like if they had to walk around and and to navigate they had much better retention of memory of like where they were and how to get somewhere and were able to navigate better and the more important thing when they took the belt away the people were literally like i feel lost now i feel like i've lost a sense and what they're replicating is something that we see in in birds like homing pigeons have a sense of magnetic north this is this is replicating that So I think there's a lot of things in the motorcycling world where you can have location services like that. You can have like, like you were saying like directions, like, like if you're left handlebar, like you plug in on the dash of the computer, like, Hey, I want to go to the closest gas station. Okay. So when you need to turn left, the left handlebar shakes. When you need to turn right, the right handlebar shakes or taps you. Like if you have an Apple watch and it taps you to
1: remind you for things like that, it's the same kind of thing. There's so many, so many, so many things I can do. When I pick up my phone, if I have a message, or something has happened and needs to alert me, it vibrates when I pick it up. Okay. right. So
0: that's that's the, that would be haptic feedback at the most basic, basic, yeah. basic level. Sure. But to bring this back into motorcycling, there's been a long rumor that HRC, Honda, was playing around with haptics during the 800cc era, and may still be, because during the 800cc's fuel requirements and fuel consumption was such a big deal that they were saying, or at least the rumor was that there was haptic feedback in the seat to alert the rider when they were riding the bike in a way that was outside the fuel strategy parameter. <laughs> That's So like amazing. if you're getting on it too hard, like it's a it little zolt up your butt like, hey, Danny,
1: knock it off. Oh, uh, Danny was loving it the whole time though. He was like, oh, I want, I'm i going to ride out of the, the window all the time. You're such a hater. Because I love the zzz on my butt. You're such
0: a hater. Danny's a great guy. Danny's one of my favorite racers now. I'm sure he is, especially when he's getting buzzed. <laughs> I'm not even going to engage. Just let me know when you're done. <laughs> <laughs>
1: little puppet all more reason to think he's a puppet is instead of strings it's like haptic feedback pocket <laughs> oh man right little little alberto Puj was all back there like bzz, bzz. Yeah, i gotta go left gotta go right <laughs> take out nikki <laughs> uh, all right i'm done <laughs> totally that's done anywho um
0: so so there's definitely some uh Some indication that Ducati is looking at that. I I think it's a really interesting technology. Um, There's a lot that can be done there. We've seen it in video games. We've seen it in cell phones. We've seen it in so many other things. For it to not be in the motorcycle industry just doesn't make sense. Especially with there being such a disconnect between like the rider and just information. You know, this is a clever way of of giving riders information through a channel that isn't being used so you don't have to look down at your dash you don't have to take your attention away from the sound this is using one of your other senses and we just know through cognitive processes that you have more bandwidth for that so there's it works for me on a lot a lot of levels so very interesting
1: i'm not quite sh- i'm not sure because i just it's like you're a hater i am such a hater i wouldn't look say it's hate it's just more complexity more bullshit all right, you know the the haptic feedback I need is a is a bike that actually makes makes vibrations when it revs.
0: All right. Well, that, to be true, like the that is a haptic feedback. It is. I it's know. an unintentional
1: haptic feedback. No, but think about the the like listening to uh, or sorry reading. I can't. I think her name is Ashley Fulek Felt Fulek uh the racer that is deaf. Uh, she's a motocross racer. Have no, you never heard of this I person? Don't know who that is, Holy yeah. Christ! So she's like renowned fast motocross racer she's deaf i think fully deaf not just partially and uh r- reading how how she deals with that because the lack of uh, noise a lot of us are used to engine noise and she has to rely on on vibrations from the bike and other things mm-hmm. so of course she's way more aware with m- her other senses than we are with everything because she's she's got one less so that It 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 compensates the rest of it compensates, and I'd have to look it up. That would be show notes for sure because she's pretty rad, and that would be one thing that's a a big deal, like for sure for somebody that may you know it would be great if I'm not saying it would be great for blind people to be able to ride motorcycles, but shoot, it has happened, and there was one that guy but that was doing the
0: land speed land speed and
1: right, but uh, uh, something that helps somebody that uh, has an impairment of some sort if haptic feedback in some fashion can help. Great. Would, like I had a radar detector system that was set up to be a light in my eye. Is that considered haptic feedback? Haptics deals with your touch sensory. It's it's touch. Okay. All right. Cause that, that's something that, okay, normally you're listening for it, right? A, a sound out of a radar detector. And this was because it's motorcycle. It was, it was coming on in the corner of your eye, right?
0: Yeah. So you have, you have two, you actually have two touch senses. You have the the, the physical grip and then and vibration. Then the, and then the pressure. So you have pressure and heat, huh. and then actual physical grip like, hey, this is round or this has yeah. spokes and this is spiny or prickly yeah, sure. or whatever. This is a cactus. It hurts when I touch it. This and then there's like the, ball. this is wet, this is hot, this sure. is, I'm holding it tight, I'm holding it loose. Haptics deals with, with a specific sense of, of input, touch, pressure, things like that, not sure.
1: shapes. But I'm pretty sure if something heated up, it could be considered a haptic. Like if you uh, have grips.
0: Technically, because it's a part of that that whatever, that side of it. Sure. Um, the other side's more of a cognitive understanding, if that makes sense. Like, I'm feeling this. This feels like a baseball.
1: Yeah. Okay. I get it. All right. Bullet points. Further bullet points with Claudio. Lunch with Claudio. Or Lunch dinner with, with Claudio, Claudio. Or whatever uh, it was. Yeah.
0: Um, don't order the fondue. Not a good lunch item to have while trying to do an interview <laughs> the, so you're saying it's a fondant it's a fondant for sure i definitely i definitely got my italian a little screwed up and i'm sitting there like they bring this like pot of melted cheese and i'm just like
1: you're like i just wanted formaggio i just wanted no something on my pasta I a little figured, cheese on my I pasta forget what italian
0: is for fondue but because it, it was right in the uh the pasta side i was like huh i've never heard of that noodle before i'm gonna try that because it was like with brie and so i'm like like, that sounds kind of good was it tasty it was pretty good but it was so gooey and like trying to like like doing an interview when i'm like just pouring cheese on bread and mushrooms it was mushrooms and cheese and just sounds so good it was good but i was just like it showed up i'm like oh fun dude that's 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 called not speaking italian (laughs) (laughs) i I
1: should have Look that up on my phone.
0: Yeah, I should have been more careful. I should, I should, have, have, just like, a, I should have just gotten a lasagna. This was just dumb. <laughs> just just gone safe with it, Beeler. Uh, what other things can we talk about? There's definitely something I can't talk about. Um, Everybody hates you for that. I know. Everybody's hating you. It's good, too. I'll tell you after the show. It's so good. What is the other one? Nuts. Oh, the Scrambler stuff. I think um, we, talked, we talked a bit about Ducati... Uh, with the multistrada enduro and the scrambler kind of getting more into ADV and off roady kind of things. I, I got this strong indication that like we could see another maybe model joining the enduro line, maybe like an 800cc multistrada enduro. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. That would be the logical one in my world to understand. And it sounds like the scrambler line is going to keep growing. Um, I still believe we'll see a larger scrambler but it also sounds like the scrambler name is is a bit of a misnomer like I think we could
1: definitely be seeing a cafe racer style bike like a Are they going to call it the Scrambler? because you know now, up to well, this it's gonna point it's going to be under that sub that's Right, because that's, that's scrambler by Ducati instead of Right so Ducati it'll be like scrambler. it'll
0: be like yeah, scrambler by Ducati, cafe racer or something like that, which is kind of like a weird marketing thing. But it'll be a good excuse
1: out. for them to bring back sport classics. Frankly, well, right? they missed the boat. Unfortunately, they were the they were the first. They were like the, the boat first boat across. To yeah, they went over. They were there, and like nobody, everybody's like, what, what, Where? what's what's this? And then all of a sudden, boom! They could have capitalized on it heavily in 2011 12 13 14 instead of having bikes done by 2010 right
0: yeah if i'd look into my crystal ball i would see the uh scrambler by ducati brand being or working for ducati in the same way that kind of triumph has like its own little vintage brand with like the thruxton and the bonneville and kind of like to an extent with the the other
1: models but it's still triumph
0: but like they don't they don't have Separated and scrolled away, but
1: like making that kind of like the post authentic heritage yeah, kind of post sub-brand heritage. of uh, this is the crap that they sh- they they shat out on us back the two or three years ago when a, when the scramblers at the yeah at the I mean, you know, I, was post heritage it, it was overdone
0: well, that's why we call it post authentic. Um, it was interesting to see. So the Ducati museum in Bologna at the factory completely. I, just, I saw they actually revamped it. They revamped bit. it. They, it's not as different as it was before. I should say the they've basically added three or four rooms. Cool, that now have production machines in them. So before it was only race bikes, and they kind of had them set around like this in this circle. That's
1: still there, um, but now Some they have oddball weirdo bikes here and there. Yeah, but generally th- mostly race none of the production. Now they have like a so now they have a, a lot of. I saw a super sport a uh, 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 like a super light, an older super light. Yeah, a red one. I was like, well, that's cool. They finally bring that in there. That's good. Yeah. There's there's some cool bikes and like you can tell that they're trying
0: to put production bikes, current and from their past to kind of weave a narrative together. Like I thought it was interesting that they they put a scrambler in there. I thought it was interesting that um you know they've got like the, obviously the the first bikes from Duc- uh, Ducati, where they were the Cuc- Cucciolo Cucciolo. Thank you.
1: Yeah, but that had been in there.
0: That had been in there. I'd seen that one before, but like they had like the first like they kind of tell like the story of how Ducati came to be moving from electronics and then World War II coming along, making basically munitions. And then and they kind of glanced over that part of the story. But then um, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, and then the factory got blown up. Well, why did it get blown up? Well, you're making bombs yeah. there. Oh, what a surprise. But so was everyone in Italy. And But then post-World War II Italy, infrastructure is totally shelled out. Roads are like cratered. Everyone's using bikes. Putting motors on bikes makes a lot of sense. And then the rest is history, so to speak. So that was cool. It was interesting to see like the Scrambler in there, and they got the Multistrada. They got a Superleggera, uh, Desmosedici Um I'm trying to think what other street bikes were in there, but it was very much, it was very much. I wouldn't say like a retelling of history, but you could tell like this is like we're putting bikes here to make not justify our current lineup, but to dr- put the current lineup with a frame of reference yeah. of in in the past of Ducati. So then. Uh, we had World Ducati Week and uh, rode the Multistrada Enduro for like eight hours. We took the very long way to uh, Masano from Bologna, which was awesome and epic and really hot. But I got a lot of seat time on the, on the Multistrada 1200 Enduro because then on my second trip, that was for the Ducati Rider Experience Enduro, the DRE Enduro class, which was also on the Enduro. So we can finally talk about the Enduro with each other. Sure. I like it.
1: Yeah, I think it's awesome. It works incredibly well, sure. But, but you're kind of you're so kinda heavy about it. It's so heavy. It is heavy.
0: It's five hundred. Is it five hundred and sixty pound bike through and, and, it, through, and it, through. It's
1: hard to overcome that, even as somebody that's just such a so stoked on Ducati and had a Multistrada that I put TKC80s on because I could. I shit. I did it on a fucking Panigale. I, I'm all about taking these bikes off road, but. The lightweight parts, kind of what I like the most. So the bottom line is, the multi strata was it, it can be used off road, but you have to be very careful with it. The enduro, you could rip and tear backwards, forwards, front, back, side to side if you can handle the weight. Which is why it probably weighs 100 pounds more. It's true. It's, I mean, it's got it's the double sided swing arm. It's braced. got a it braced. It's yep. it's
0: it's legit. I, I like the. Uh, I like the enduro, the multi-start enduro, a lot. So I got to go from Bologna to Masano, all twisty roads, and had a blast on it. I would probably get it over the the street version, to be honest, just because I I didn't feel like I was compromising my it's not bad as my brap ability. Sure. Um, You're not going
1: that fast anyway, mm-mm. so that did you? But you did you have the road tires on? I it? had road tires on. Yeah. It. Uh, And I have yet to ride one with the full on road tires, but judging the way it feels with the knobbies, it feels pretty good with knobbies. I can imagine with the road tires, even with a 19 inch front, you get plenty of feedback. That was the thing.
0: That was the thing. And it's got 160 horsepower and it's, you're limited by footbed clearance before you're limited by the bike. The rest of the bike, I should say. As far as
1: uh, lean angles. Just getting on it. Yeah. And a 10 gallon, no, eight gallon gas tank. Eight gallons. Which is impressive. A lot. Sure.
0: You can go, you can go far, you can go fast um had a lot of fun on that and then but yeah so then we did the i'm skipping stuff here but we went and did the dre enduro class and those are multi-star to 1200 enduros no bags but with knobbies and I, I hear you what you're saying about the weight i still think like i'll just go out like the the tldr is this is if you're in, in the market for a 19 inch front wheel adv bike this is the one because it's it's Very capable off-road. You can do a lot of things with it. It is heavy. We got, um, the first day of the DRE course, we went trail riding and it had just rained and we got some really muddy sections and unfortunately our group was far larger than it should have been. So we were getting bunched up and man, the second you go through those muddy sections at like 10, 15 miles an hour, you're just, you're falling over. We just had bikes left, right, and center just falling over because they're just so fucking big and heavy. Um. In reality, you need to be hitting these sections 20 30 miles an hour, getting on the gas and staying on the gas. All right, so
1: it it wasn't necessarily a fault of the bike in this situation. If you were on a GS, if you were on a KTM 1290 adventure and you were on these, you you just can't get around physics.
0: You just can't get around physics. If you've got a 600 pound bike, 550 pound bike. So you, there's no getting around that. I'm not going to pretend like, oh, it does this so well. And da, da, da. no, Physics is physics. You just can't get around that.
1: But if you're good at what you do, you can get, say, in that same muddy section, if you'd be able to hit it with some momentum, yeah. know to know to load the bike in a very specific way, have your butt way off the seat, whatever it is that you can. On the power, okay. way backward. You're okay. You're going to be just
0: as good as anyone else's. On any other bike. Without a twenty-one inch wheel, sure. Okay. So, and I and like you know, that was the thing I was thinking about on the flight back because we had talked about the the enduro in relation to the Africa Twin, and you know, talking to some guys about it that are in the market, and I was like, well, the Africa Twin is better off road, no doubt about it. It's lighter. It's got a twenty-one inch hoop. It's it's especially with the DCT. The DCT is great off road. These are all things I've already talked about, so I'm not gonna rehash it. But there's nowhere I would take the Africa Twin. Where I wouldn't take the multi enduro, and that's just a function of there's nowhere I'm gonna get into the gnarly gnar with a big heavy bike like that on what's probably a multi-day thousand-mile journey somewhere. Where if I, you know, wrap my bike around the tree, not only am I in the middle of nowhere, but I've also just totally fucked up my vacation. So there's like this like idea of like I'm never gonna take an ADV bike ten tenths somewhere, and so that automatically like means that. Pretty much the Ducati can go anywhere that the Honda would go for my purposes. Now, obviously, everyone's different, and your mileage may vary. But that was kind of my analysis of it. Like I would say, it's that capable where I can go eight tenths, nine tenths, and be secure on what I'm doing with the bike. It's it's that level capable.
1: So, and for me, I I think of it when I took it out to Eastern Oregon earlier in the year. I I think of a ride we did last year in deep, deep north or sorry, southeastern Oregon where we had a major uh, situation getting out the Owyhee Canyon and we were on a bunch of ADV bikes and it was difficult. And I think about what would I have wanted to be on when I was out there, my XR650. But if I was on a Multistrada Enduro, knowing the bike and knowing the tires, could I get up some of the shit that we had to like stop and think about? Could I have just right. gone right through it? actually probably so but it would be difficult would i be more comfortable on the honda absolutely like it in my head just thinking about that one crux of a of a rock climb we had to do and i think of that with 21 inch front same weight of bike big but i know how much better the honda is i i would absolutely want to have that and then not really give a shit about having an extra 80 horse 60 horsepower whatever it is that the that the ducati has the gas mileage, though, like if I was going to choose to do the same thing to go to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, I'd want the Multi all day long, twice on Sunday. You know, I, the, but that's for the long distance stuff, the gas mileage stuff. The do what do I want to go from here to to go see Zion National Park? It's probably going to be the Ducati, but the Honda certainly looks like it would do the job.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of the other way. Like I, I hear what you're saying because I can think of we had this one. You know, if you go back and listen to the Africa Twin show, like there's this one gnarly step up we did yeah yeah you talked about it right? and you know like and for me that was that was the test of my limits and and I, you could have done that on the ducati well that's what i'm trying to think like oh man i really wouldn't want to have to do that on the ducati i think <laughs> yeah. would it have done it yeah with would somebody I have been,
1: higher level skilled easily
0: someone higher level skilled up for sure like but i'm thinking myself could i have done it i would have given it a go I don't know if the outcome would have been the same, but it's it one of those things. Like, yeah, absolutely, I would rather have the Africa Twin than that than the Ducati. But that for me is such a rare situation. Yeah. Whereas, like for me, like I just didn't enjoy the Africa Twin on the road as much as like should have with the DCT, I should say. And the DCT is part of what makes the, Africa the automatic Twin transmission right the dual clutch transmission, which is basically an automatic for you, um, which was awesome off-road but just sucks so much on-road and, like, that trade-off is kind of And the compromise
1: is heavy with any 21-inch front bike. So I've done a 1,000 miles on a KTM 950 Adventure and it, it is a compromise. It doesn't feel that great on the road. It's vague and shitty feeling and, you Which, know, but you're using it to get to the cool parts that are off-road. Sure. So that's the balance. And that really, this is brings up the conversation of how ridiculous some of these big bikes are in general. In general, right? Well, what are they? Well, a GS... I I would say 99% of all miles traveled on GS's have been road miles. Right? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, yeah. But you could say the same thing about like
0: a lot of aspirational bikes. How many mile? How many Panigales see the track? Sure. You know, same thing. You can you can make your little sure. stereotype jokes all day, and that's and some of those are. fair. It could be Land Rover. How many Porsches are,
1: are at racetracks? How many Land Rover actually yeah, yeah, go yeah, yeah. off road? Yada yada. They're all aspirational. Sure.
0: My thing. I think my thing was for a 19-inch front wheel. I feel like I really didn't give anything up. For the street riding and probably gain something for the off-road is it a 21 inch w- front wheel no you know it's not in the same league but like i look at that in the gs and I'd be like Does i'm, it getting, really the, I'm it? getting the ducati any day of the week huh you know if, if i'm if i'm really someone that's spending all my time off-road and doing adventures off-road that being the key art, because if you're just an off-road rider yeah go get an xr 650 go to a crf 450 go get something KTM that's nine, half not the 690
1: way. enduro yeah sure. yeah
0: you know whatever Whatever floats your boat, but if you're doing like that true adventure where you're connecting epic off road with long stretches of highway, you know if it's really important to you to have that little extra, I think the the Honda Africa Twin is the bike for you. But otherwise, for the 99% rest of us, I think the the Gaudi is going to probably take it for me. Having not ridden the 1190 KTM, I should specify. Yeah. So it's something to chew on. It's it's so that's like kind of the next chapter in that in that book. Um. But it was fun to, so so I got to ride the the Multistrada 1200 enduro off-road in Tuscany, which is awesome. But I was doing the DRE enduro course, the Ducati rider experience is something that Ducati has been doing for some time now. And it, and it started out with on-track riding. Race. Yeah, so it would be like you go to Magello or you go to Masano and, uh, you know, get kind of like a track day instructional kind of thing going on. And so this is the now kind of off-road component to it. And I think in Italy, they're doing a scrambler version as well, doing flat track. And they might bring that out to the U S as well. And they're kind of, they're kind of getting into it. And so the, the DRE thing, the DRE enduro is right outside of Florence. It's on like this castle on right the top of a vineyard. And we um, have an ex Dakar rally racer guy, uh, who's the head instructor? What's and his name? Beppe Gualini, and he's next an Dakar rally racer. And okay. he's actually like when we do these press launches, he's usually like the lead, the lead rider. He's just kind of like Ducati's. He's guy.
1: A, a go-to guy. But he raced a Kajiva uh, in the Dakar, yeah. and so uh, the Lucky Strike. Yeah, Kajiva. That's awesome.
0: Which is another bike I should mention that's in the uh, Ducati museum.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's been there for sure
0: because it's got the Ducati motor in it. That was during sure. the Kajiva years. So it was an interesting interesting course it's um i've been describing it to people i'd say it's like it's one part instructional class one part demo ride one part italian vacation so like to say it's like on par with some of the more focused adventure riding off road riding schools it's no rawhide adventure it's not i mean i've never done the rawhide but i've certainly know enough people that have done it and, and know enough about it to be able to say like this is definitely not it like We did, we did drills, which I thought were really good for like, for me, someone who's called asphalt and rubber for a reason. So for me, there's a lot of value in having someone just say like, Hey, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is what you're aiming for. This is the technique you're going to try and learn and be like, okay. So some of the stuff that I've been doing out of instinct is right. And some of the stuff that I don't know, I need to learn. So cool. A lot of drills, which I thought was helpful just to understand how to handle a 560 pound motorcycle um with knobby tires and off-road but i would say like it's kind of weak in its instructional elements because there's not a lot of feedback there's not a like there's not like a feedback loop system that's really good like you go through and do a drill and they go oh jensen i saw your foot was like this on the foot peg make sure it gets like this like it was just more like yeah you did that really well or you did that really poorly try again and you're like right eh, okay. so was there a, a language barrier there's a little bit of a language barrier but Beppe and all those guys speak English. But I'm like it's always like when something's your second language, yeah, there's going to be a barrier because you sure. can't explain your thoughts with the same clarity. And Ducati calls it an experience and it's very much like that's that's a great way of describing it because it's not it's not going to replace raw I think it's I think the perfect person for this would be like the new multistrada enduro owner who's maybe not who's maybe been in the Ducati brand for a while and isn't as off-road focused yeah as, as some others would be and to be like hey you know you bought this cool bike it's only like 650 euros or something it's like 700 bucks it's not terribly expensive for a, that's actually not bad at all for a day and a half in beautiful tuscany you get but i think two not, lunches and a dinner they provide the bike they can they can provide the gear so like you're kind of sitting there going like this is pretty good they, they're not paying pro- for the the providing the place to stay are they no you, you got to find okay. the place to stay yeah so
1: it's not and it's kind of a pricey area sure uh well like how pricey how much was it for you to stay well i mean so it's were you because it was it was a journalistic thing or something yeah okay if somebody's gonna stay at the villa villa.
0: that's the thing you're in wine country tuscany so everything there is kind of four starry you're gonna be paying for it but on the flip side too it's 30 minutes from florence you can get a hostel in florence for 15 bucks a night if you really want to sleep with cockroaches and hookers
1: i don't want uh, any hostility so, well, anywhere
0: yeah, choose your own adventure on that one so but but for a course I thought it was reasonably priced and, and for what you're getting bikes and gear and, and all that it's not bad um, but it is very much of like hey you bought a, a Multistrada maybe this is a great this is I think a great way to dip your toe into the muddy waters and see what that's like um, we had to kind of Tarantino the course because we had rain so we actually did the a day of riding which is how we got in such muddy conditions and then we did the drills afterwards the next day <laughs> okay it's a little backwards but you kind of get the the gist of it they got a great um they have two kind of fields that they've made these courses out of that are like fields in the vineyard and it's just old hist- literally a castle where this family has been making wine for literally a thousand years so a lot of interesting things going on there uh i wish it was a little bit more And this is actually something i was talking to claudio about i wish for the for for their adventure line that they would just go full on with it, like there's not a lot of, like when you talk to someone about like off roading with a Ducati, you'd be like, oh, that's gonna be expensive. And it turns out the Multistrada crashes pretty well because we crashed a lot of them in the class. We saw, sure. I think, just about everyone tipped their bike over. Yeah, um, they're made to be though. Like, well, that was the thing. Like, it was actually surprising. Like these things actually crash pretty well, and you can see like some of them had scratches. Like they've definitely been worn through in the class. But you put the the little crash bars and stuff on it, they they do okay. But you're still, yeah, you're crashing a $23,000 bike, um, which is tough to, to to wrap your head around. But I think the class is situated well for, like, the guy that buys one of these and be like, hey, you know, let's get you comfortable getting this bike sideways, getting this bike dirty, getting this bike, letting this, showing you what this bike can do to, so you can then do other trips that,
1: you know, out of your comfort zone or out of your comfort zone that, that are and, not and well, all road well actually we'll
0: be in your comfort zone yeah. because we've just extended what your comfort zone is so i think i like it from that perspective i wish it was a little bit more hardcore uh there's four instructors for like 20 students which is like a great instructor to student ratio but they didn't really utilize that very well so you know it's mostly like one instructor with like three assistants or maybe two instructors because they did divide us up in half at one point but like when we went into the ride, it was like twenty guys falling, one dude, and it was just a clusterfuck, and um, that kind of sucked because I definitely think half the bikes that tipped over wouldn't have tipped over if we weren't so bunched together because we. It's just when you go through a mud pit at three miles an
1: hour, yeah, you're gonna fall over, and you don't have any any way to power through it. Sure, yeah. Well, so I've been I've been trying to to get a weekend together to get uh, a lot of the customers at from Motocorsa. To go to a specific place locally that is a right. bit gnarly it's called Badger lake and you to get into it it's not just dirt road it is a dirt road that is at I don't know a few thousand feet so and it and it doesn't continue through it just goes to to this this lake uh, which is kind of in a boxed canyon and that's it it's in and out and you you know so there's no they don't take care of the road that well. Lots of baby head-sized rocks, fist-sized rocks going down at extreme angles. It would be out of the comfort zone for anybody, even on, say, an XR. It would be like if you were just a street person and somebody stuck you on an XR650 that could roll over anything, you'd be freaked out going down this thing, let alone on a big adventure bike. But I'd like to be able to get a group of the people that have bought Multistratas, Hyperstradas, Hypermotards, things that have a little bit of suspension travel and a little ground clearance, because you can go down this easily. So I took uh, uh, one of the one of my coworkers, Miles, he just bought a Multistrada, and um, I was riding the Multistrada that we had um, outfitted with TKC80s and a bunch of other off-road stuff, so I was, it was easy for me. It was, like, simple. He was on street tires. We got a flat on our way down in uh, on his bike, so we had to fix that. But other than that, he did pretty well, and it started to hearten me. I was like, hmm... I might be able to do this, but I just, I haven't figured out how to go about it, how many people we would have to go, how to herd the cats of the different skill levels going down this road, right? So it's thinking about what you're having, you had to go through there, but boy, what I'd love to be able to do, and this is without instruction, this would basically be telling everybody, you know, rider beware, we're going down some NAR, you know, you're either going to have to harden the fuck up or or you're going to end up turning around and i don't want to yeah. do that i want to do it in a better way but i just don't know how to approach it so this would be this would be my feedback with the dre like i really
0: like the concept i think there's a lot of really good things out of it there's some things i would tighten up with the instruction side of it you know that's something that's super easy for them to do but i like this concept and i w- and i hope it travels outside of Italy. i hope there's like i hope there's like five of them in the us so this can be something like like there's a Pacific Northwest one for like Seattle and Portland and Idaho and all them to, to send people to and like a SoCal one or an Arizona one, whatever, because it'd be such a great tool for dealers to be able to say, Hey, like you bought this bike, let's go, let's go show you how to do it. Because then I think that too, like that adds so much more credibility to Ducati as a brand to be in this kind of realm that I would say is not their core competency yet. And it's the same thing with them doing like the scrambler DRE where it's like, Hey, we're going to go do, we're basically doing like a, diet coke version of a flat track race school like that's cool like that's going to make there be so much more validity to yeah, what it you're legitimizes doing. the bike even though most totally. people are looking at it as totally. a
1: post authentic hipster bullshit machine and it, it frankly the bikes are rad and they even as a flat track bike it's not optimal but you could have a lot of fun on a scrambler 62 like a 400 cc on dirt I would love to do that. Well, I think that was, it'd be rad. So that was one of the things that we kind of got
0: left behind with the the World Ducati Week discussion. So this was the first year. So World Ducati Weeks every two years, and this year was the first year they had flat track racing going on That's at awesome. World Ducati Week, and it was awesome. And and it got a pretty good crowd. The first day was with the professional riders, and the second day was with like media influencers. And I was this close to getting to race until we had to penangle some sort of race license nonsense. No. I think if I was Italian, I think if I was Italian I would have been on that starting fine. line. But I was Americano. Um, but Jamie Robinson, our friend was there. He did quite well. He was second or third? I can't remember now. Was
1: he? Well, he's raced one now a couple of times. Yeah, so I think he did a couple of the ones in Stateside. So I've this been, was
0: more of like a TT course. It wasn't an oval. Which is awesome. Which is That's awesome. even better. That was even it was super cool. It was, it was a super cool event. It was super cool to see. It was so cool to watch like Andrea De Vizioso, uh Troy Bayless was doing it. I think Troy came in second or third. Andrea won, and Petrucci. I think Petrucci came in third. Sure. Danilo, which was awesome because he's still you know, battling all his
1: brokenness. Everybody loves Danilo, though. He's awesome.
0: But it was cool to see, and it was a cool element. I think there was 82,000 Ducatisti at the World Ducati. was the most they'd ever had. I mean, it was, it was a cool event. It was a gnarly event. I've never seen so many... You didn't really have to be a Ducati fan to get into it, but it probably helps. But there was Lamborghini test rides. I got to do a hot lap around Vassano in an Aventador. Yeah, who drove it? uh, I'm going to totally forget his name, but he's an ex-rally racer. He's a test driver for Lambo.
1: That'd be even better if to, you actually got to drive it, but shit, that's got to be pretty gnarly. I don't to drive that. I don't have the
0: asphalt and rubber's not quite at that level where I can start writing a two hundred thousand dollars check without thinking about it too much. That would be more like half gotta, a million. We got to get more uh, advertisers on the
1: podcast. Okay, well, whatever. We got to work on that. I'd be all about the event of yeah,
0: but I got to do a hot lap. My phone got to do two hot laps uh was I, it wedged in the seat fell or something out of the seat, yeah i found out though i chas Davies and i actually had this conversation later we we can't buy lamborghinis because we don't we don't fit in them with our helmets on yeah they're we're too tall yeah i bet you So are. i got to get the cabriolet yeah, i was or, about to say they're nothing. about to
1: make a th- drop top version so you'd be okay
0: yeah yeah so
1: cool event world
0: ducati week was was crazy and then that's of that's course your first time at a world of Week. first time there yeah, I would don't, you
1: recommend it for any motorcycle enthusiast? That's or what you I'm think, saying. Like it's, you can totally
0: not be into Ducatis and go and have a good time. It kind of helps if you've drunk I in the Kool-Aid, though. Imagine,
1: you can't, yeah,
0: because yeah, it's because it is, it is just up every orifice, red Ducatiness <laughs> out of every orifice. But, yeah, but it's cool to see. You know, even when we were like 100 miles away from from the track, riding in. Like you would just see these packs of people just out. Bombing the the great roads that are around uh, Misano, uh, great atmosphere, so many people. There's awesome. You know, you just walk up and down where the bikes are parked and see just awesome bikes. You know, Panagales with tens of thousands of miles on them, customs. Every every machine you can imagine from the Ducati lineup and, and heritage and a lot of custom stuff. A lot of custom stuff. A lot of people are super switched on about it. Uh, there's a lot to see and do. Like like I think it'd be. A great event for any racetrack owner to go to because it was eighty. Uh, I think the total through the three days was eighty five thousand people. There eighty three thousand somewhere in the eighty thousands. Eighty one. That doesn't matter. Eighty thousand plus. But the focus wasn't what was going on at the track. The focus was what was going on in the paddock, and. And people were paying money for it and people were having a good time. And I think that's something that racing as a whole is missing because we focus so much about uh, the racing event, what's actually going on the venue as centering on what's on the racetrack. And like, that's certainly a big part of it, but I think you would see ticket sales and gate sales go up significantly if there was more of a festival atmosphere to it where a You know, flat track racing on the side, and you know, hey, here's all these custom bikes setup things, and oh yeah, we're you know in between sessions of stuff going on. You can take a hot lap in a Lambo, or watch, you know, these famous racers go do drag racing on Diavols, and you know, there's just there was just so much extraneous stuff. Well, extraneous is the wrong word, but there was so much all this other stuff that was going on that was cool that it kept like kept you entertained. Like it was it was the busiest two days or three days. I've had in a long while because it was just like drinking from a firehouse that's how i was describing it to people it's like it's like drinking from a firehouse because there's so much going on there's so a much cool stuff ducati kool-aid firehouse absolutely but
1: like how can you not be excited about a brand like that when it's putting on like an event like this well you you well you, did you know that there was a ducati revs america so back in 2001 and it was like uh, unfortunate it was like a month after the uh the attacks uh in at new york was um, DRE, D- or DRA, Katie Rose America, and it was at Vegas. Um, and it was, of course, it was nothing like that, but it was it was the same type of, it wasn't as that as far as the amount, but it was at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the one that, that's on north of town, and there was just stuff to do and things going on, and it's it was remembered by a lot of us as a real fun time, and it sucks. It was the only time they ever did it. And then it was, you know, that was that. That was never again. So I would, I would, we have said, boy, that would be a neat thing. It's just return on investment style. Really, it's tough to, to justify because I'm sure it was a fairly large expenditure. But I could see it happening. It just, there's only a couple places in the US you could do that where it would make sense, you know? It's tough, right? to Austin, the GP. Yeah, it could probably be done at Austin. I mean, what you're explaining, you got to think of what CODA is doing, having. Not only a racetrack, but a a place to watch concerts and do other things at the the track. The only Taylor Swift concert
0: this year is at COTA during the Formula One race. The what? The only? That was a big thing. I I think it was this year. Yeah. The only Taylor Swift concert this year in the U.S. is at the Formula One race at the Circuit of the Americas. Dude, I got to go.
1: You're such a Swiftie. I'd love her. Um, It's those eyes. You just get lost in them. (laughs) I get Kevin uh, a, a calendar. Two years running, I've been getting him a Taylor Swift calendar. So I'm always excited for the month change. I can go in there and see what, what, what she's looking like this month. <laughs> it's up at MotoGorset. Love it. So um, Coda is a good example. Uh, Laguna is a big example of kind of bad where, I mean, it's at one point in time, it used to be pretty epic. Ducati Island had its thing going on. And then the vendor is going on. But there's not enough... There's there's not enough other stuff, and I, I ancillary might be a better term than yeah. And I've but, talked
0: to them. I mean, look. Anytime you talk about Luguna Seca and and issues of hosting a race, like you have to understand the nonsense that goes on with the counting. yeah. And
1: so let's just. I'm not even. Let's not yeah, even dig into that. But I remember
0: Which, talking to them like like getting supermoto out there. Like it's just you have to understand that like like let's be really really honest. Watching motorcycle racing sucks. Like like for me like. Like if you're just going to talk about watching the racing the best racing viewing experience is at home on my big screen tv with my surround sound and my multi-camera angle video pass like it just like you just you're not going to beat that the value of going to a racetrack is getting the visceral experience you go for the noise and the heat and the atmosphere but beyond that you're going for what's going on the paddock the ability to to see a rider to meet a rider to get an autograph the vendor row used I remember when I first started motorcycling, the vendor row was like that was like where you're gonna get like the smoking deals. We're like, yeah, do you want an Araya helmet for like forty percent off? This is we're just gonna get rid of all of our inventory and this is the spot to go and do it. And this is like there's just wheel yeah, and deal sure. and deals. The internet's kind of changed that. But you know, that used to be a part of it. Ducati Island was always a thing because that's you know well it's kind of like this microcosm of Decottiness, but it's also like there's cool bikes there. They have a fashion show, they do their own things. But sure. You know, there was other things like I know Laguna played around with like supermoto and having like little side things and like you can see like kids can be on pit bikes and do that like yep. Yamaha does that. Sure, so there's just lots of little things, but I think we need to get back to this idea of like this is like a festival. Like, what is it? The 25 hour Le Mans. Yeah, there is literally an amusement park yeah. on location. No, and and i like, love to and, see and, that. And, and even the French GP has that element of like. This isn't just a motorcycle race. People aren't just showing up to watch MotoGP. People are showing up for the Mad Max carnival atmosphere. They're going on the Ferris wheel. They're getting drunk. There's parties until, well, fuck, the parties don't stop basically until the next day. They just kind of like do this 72-hour loop of constant partiness. That is what draws French race fans
1: to Lamont. Well, and Laguna had that for a long time and still does. There's still people talking about the turn eleven, ten grandstand area, not grandstand, but the, the camping area. Yeah. And I've lived it. I've been in it. I've I've camped there. It's gnarly, right? But this was back in the day when it was World Superbike and there was a little bit more to it at that time. The GP crowd Kinda eclipsed that and made it a little bit more sanitary. Duralized. Now I'm hearing that it's a little bit back, a little bit funky, and people talking about going to camping and it's funky and interesting. And it draws more than just the racing; it's drawing you to the the yeah. camaraderie of being around motorcyclists. But, it's,
0: but that I would even say like that's not enough. Like, it is there, there, not enough. There needs but it's to be there needs to be more. Like you need to understand that in this day and age, with the media packages and the internet and everyone's got high definition screens now and all this surround sound and all that stuff like you are competing on a different level like you're not just like hey come watch the race and see the results and that's enough for you it's like no no no. like you have to provide the value and you need to get you need to give me a reason to leave my house where i get this where i know what happens at every turn because you go and watch racing and if you don't have a jumbotron in front of you you just don't know what's going on because your your entire window of this race is like maybe one or two turns i remember going to hockenheim for Schumacher's last race in Germany before he made a return, just because I was in the area, I was living in Italy actually, and uh, I saw it and I was like, I oh, 100 bucks to see a 4 1 race, sure, why not? When sure. else am I gonna get to do this? But all the announcements were in German and we didn't have a jumbotron, and I could see like three turns, and I had literally no idea what the fuck was going on the entire time because I had no. No yep. feed, and I was just sit there like, wow, these bike, the, these bikes, these cars are loud. These cars are fast. Look, another red one just went by. Cool, but I had no concept of what was going on with the race, sure. and that's what that's what kind of racing is. Like, unless you're plugged into it uh, on like a virtual level, it's tough, and you so you have to provide that extra. Ness to get someone through the gate because people are people are still tight with their consumer discretionary income You know if they're that vacation day that they have to take or vacation days they have to take or that You know that plane ride or that motorcycle trip up the coast or whatever it is that has to get them there that they have to to Take a hardship for like you're you're competing with a lot of things and and to that point. I think world Ducati week does a great job of, of giving an example of the kind of things you can do that provide that kind of value. Because that event brought through the gate more people than what Laguna Seca does. It gets close to how many come for CODA. Yeah. And, and, and that's and just Indy. for Ducatis instead and it's of just Ducati, right? And it's very much an Italian thing. Like if you're outside of Italy, I believe. It's either Italy or Europe. Can't remember. I'd have to double check. But if you're outside, let's say Europe. It's free. Because they're like, hey, you flew to Italy to come for the
1: thing, yeah, you get to come in free, yeah, for just general access, and that's yeah. smart too. But sure, because w- part of this is the press saying, look at all these Ducati fans, right? And then they seeing that they're like, they want to foster that as much as possible because the more people that they can show in the pictures going to World Ducati Week, the more that they can say, look how awesome our brand is, right? Yeah, and 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 Ducati's
0: smart too. They realize like. So we got to see the 90 the anniversario, Panigale, the 90th anniversary bike debuted there. So that was so showing up gets you to see that bike the up newest, in person latest, first. The newest greatest. And it's also where the the supersport Super was teased and it's also where the scrambler was teased
1: 2 years ago when it came out. Did you see the supersport? I did see the supersport. Can we talk about that now or We totally need? can. All right. So how did you see it? What was your situation? Were you part of the group of Pacific or Ducati Pacifica? If that's funny. The uh Ducati <laughs> uh, well, that's what Ducati Pacifica is. Is a Ducati owners group, right? So,
0: so, so, so I should say there is like a Ducati owners group area, which was really cool. I Actually, walked through there and met a lot of people. Met some people to watch the or watch listen to the podcast, which was cool. Hmm. Um, but I was just checking it out to see what was what was going on, just to get a lay lamp. So the way the the secret viewing works is anyone can go and see it. Uh, it's open to everyone. It's open to anyone that, that's at World Ducati Week. So it's not just like a press thing. It's not just like a D, uh, Ducati Owner's Club thing. It's just you're at World Ducati Week. You stand in line long enough, you get to see this bike. And the line's not that bad. The upside of being the press guy is that you get to cut cut, so, cut the line. So. Okay. Sorry for partying.
1: Were you with Claudio at the time?
0: No, no. I was with... Um, Nathan, who's the PR guy for Ducati North America. Nathan Bardugo, Who just now is back on a motorcycle. Oh, yeah, we're very it. excited for him. Good for him. Good for him. That's been a long time coming.
1: Wasn't that a bicycle wreck that oh, screwed yeah. him up? Oh, man. He got messed up. Yeah. All right. So he, he was like, we're going in, we're going to check this out. So you went in and checked it out.
0: And so I also got to meet with Paul Ventura, who is the project manager for the Superbikes and Hypermotards. Paul Ventura. I think he's the only American at Ducati mode. Oh, I've game. heard about this guy. I've never met him. I've yeah. heard about him. Um, so we got so so he's in charge of this project, so we actually got to talk about it uh, at some at some length, which was interesting. But yeah, I mean, what do you want to know about the supersport? Let me let me it's probably
1: easier for you to ask me questions than me to this freewheeling. I guess. I mean, I saw the picture of it and it was pretty easy to to figure out. Okay, it looks like it's a derivative of the monster lineage in that fact that it has a trellis frame bolted straight to the engine yes. but then with superbike like fairings and a uh that are reminiscent of the of the Panigale uh, but handlebars that are above the triple clamp so not clip-on per se but not handlebars
0: they're clip-ons but they're raised clip-ons
1: right so like an S Est- frankly it looks like sport touring It looked like more sport touring than anything.
0: It is. So it is a a bike designed for capital S sport touring, lowercase t. Uh, And as
1: Ducati has gotten away from that over the years and gone multi-strata, a lot of people are vocal in saying, where are my STs? Because as an ST owner, I I get it. I'm with them. I kind of like something that is sport, even though I've bent way far into the dirt side. I get it um so uh, it'd be very interesting to see this because for years that 900 ss that was a wicked thing but it went out poorly because it was a tour blanche for from 99 through like 0405 that design was kind of nasty it was very polarizing for a lot of people whereas the the 900 ss of the uh, late 80s to early 90s was gorgeous and beautiful even to this day uh, even if a, a little dated, so to see this, which is you know reminiscent of a Panigale, look, svelte.
0: Yeah, I mean the best way to describe it would be take a monster chassis, put the hypermotard engine in it, and slap some Panigale fairings on it, and you're pretty close to what this is. Yep. Okay. It's um, so that same. I wouldn't say it's exactly the same 939. It's different electronics, I believe, and then different yeah. little things here and there, but more or less the same. The same motor. Um, it's got a little bit of banana seat. So it's like the Diavel, and it's like the current monsters where it's got like a cowl that goes over the seat and you remove sure. the cowl and then there's more seat. You find the seat. Yeah, there's more seat. And the idea is that it's supposed to be a comfortable bike for, for, to go two up riding on. So you and a friend blasting three miles. The riding position is fairly upright. It's very comfortable. The, the
1: pegs are low. Um, it's com- going to compete with multiple um, BMW bikes that there's been a, a, a huge vacuum for Ducati to compete with Duc- uh, BMW with with a, a sport touring segment. I mean, do, how many different bikes can you fit in BMW's lineup into the sport touring segment? And we've been combating it with uh, with multis only, which has been pretty good because let's face it, they're better than 99% of the rest of the sport tours out there even though they have well, handlebars. I mean, I mean take, it, take it
0: outside the Ducati argument. ADV bikes have been eating up uh, sports sport I'm touring sure. to the yeah. point that we've seen now like like a new segment come out what, what I call like the adventure sports segment. Yeah, I think BMW stole that name for me because that's how they they define the S1000XR. But you know I would throw the Multistrada in that same Absolutely. that same category where it's like it's not really an ADV bike. It's just a tall sport tour that's comfortable to ride. Yep. You know, like it's, it's something kind of different, but it's, the but it's hitting Adventure. that same
1: vein. It's same, all of them. there. You can just, who cares? One of the main people that bought an Enduro from, from us at Motor Corsa recently, but he does not have anything to do with going off road at all, ever period. He just wanted the, the eight gallon gas tank. And he had a, a G to multi strata GT that was festooned with all kinds of stuff. And he doesn't have to put most of that onto this because it already has it. So he's a great example. And you know what? He just doesn't want to go off-road. Fair enough. Now, the half of me is like, well, I want to get him to be comfortable off-road, because that'll open up all kinds of windows for him. Right. Which is where I think that exactly, DREC right? goes into comes it. In. But really, yeah. if he doesn't, he'll be just fine because he'll be chewing up miles on that bike anyway with road tires on it. He'll be just fine. So the segments there. And he was an ST owner. I met him on a on a Ducati ST listserv. 15 years ago, maybe list a little serve. less. Wow. Yeah, List serve, we were on wow. a list serve. I was on a GP125 list serve, an Isuzu Impulse list serve, and a Ducati ST list serve, and an RC30 list serve. And were you well, on the uh, alt. Binaries as well? No, I wasn't, I don't yeah, know really anything about that. Dirty right? fucker. Sorry, I, was, I, I, had a, I had a handle on a BBS, I was Mr. Goodbar, and that would have been <laughs> uh, circa 1990, so I have that going for me. Yeah, but I'm I'm just not nerdy enough for the rest of it. Sorry.
2: Oh man, Mr. Mr. Goodbot, Goodbye, right?
1: Wow. I think it was an LL Cool J song, and I I just kind of said, "All right, LL Cool J." The fact but that you listen to LL Cool J, is ladies love the best. Cool James, man. <laughs> ladies love him. <laughs>
0: what was the movie I was just watching him in? Where he gets eaten by a shark? Sharknado? No, 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 no. Oh, deep, deep blue, deep blue sea. sea. In fact, holy I don't, crap, I think I he
1: lives he
0: might yeah sharknado is a whole other. sharks on a plane That's snakes on a plane oh okay who put all these who's motherfucking snakes (laughs) on this motherfucking i'm tired of these i've never seen that movie but i know that line no same here it's on netflix i gotta watch it
1: uh i don't really i gotta hate watch it yeah i hate and same with sharknado i've heard that sharknado is rough (laughs) it is so
0: rough and and it's only compounded further because it has terror Reed in it and she's just she's rough. She's rough.
1: The movie is as rough Age as has she not is. been kind to her. Oh. <laughs> the only kind to her was the uh Big Lebowski scene. That was the only time I think she ever looked normal. And if you go back, Mm-mm. you just want to think Mm-mm. of her Mm-mm. you know, with she's her, never normal with her toe cut never off. Never
0: normal. She's a weird duck.
1: All right. So we again we're going off on super tangent today. So that was a good one, though. That, that was like A level. What? The that tangent. tangent. Yeah, no, that's cool. We could have kept going. If I'm, this I'm, was a drinking game, uh-huh. our audience is drzunk. I had to reel that back in. Actually, one of the only things I've ever caught as a shark. I caught two shark with my grandma off the coast of Florida, probably 1989, and it was sharks. So I don't fish. I'm not really into fishing. It's kind of boring, but that was interesting to catch a shark over the course of like an hour, you know, reeling something in. Bought you for it? it what was, kind of shark was it? um i mean or how big was it let's put it that way w- well one of them was a small 50 pound shark the other one small 50 pound was was <laughs> like 200 something it was a big shark what? and it turned out it was pregnant and i felt horrible i didn't like that at would all. you kill it i don't think we yeah i think we did i think uh, we, we ate we ate both of them oh did good. you really yeah um. i think i'm t- playing the classic role of The what is the with the kid with the the Standing with his arms stretched out, shark.
0: I'm like, that's a big shark, dude.
1: It, well, it was so uh, like you had to sit in a seat with yeah. the with the rod like, and reel like, like, in like between you would go marlin fishing? Yeah, that was. I, I so I'm pretty sure I'm not exaggerating when I say it was 250 pounds. And it it had to we had to have it on the side of the boat. Like we couldn't bring it into the boat until we got to the dock. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. So I, I don't. I don't minutes. really. I'm not. really i am not i am not into that. And I, even to my, I'm I, not, I, I not. hate that I'm not into it because that probably was really. Would be really fun to be able to catch big fish and eat them and all that, but as long as you eat them, I guess I don't feel that bad. But it just seems like killing things for no purpose other than your amusement, which is scary. All right, so uh, we went super from sport. tangent, then we went back Get back on to the tangent. super sport. Yeah, so super. The sport. pricing, the
0: pricing is gonna be interesting. I think twelve to thirteen, eh? Yeah, which could be interesting.
1: Yeah, that puts it in a very good place. Yeah, because right now judging by what's happened this year with the what we're selling and not selling in the ducati realm we need something that's a a little bit cheaper than these super hyper expensive bikes for sure and i and i think that'll help because we want the monsters a21 sell rapidly the 959 sell wonderfully right those are hot scramblers are cold 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 like last year was hot there's been no marketing Ducati is really, really, really bad at marketing and they are continuing to be bad at marketing and it's hurting us at the dealer level oh, tragically, abjectly. So uh, if if they don't do something about that and just rest on all of their laurels about, oh, well, we sold a shit ton of bikes last year, so we're good to go. If we can't get that for 17, uh, we're going to have trouble selling more because right now a lot of dealers are overloaded with product and it's that means it's going to be ugly for a while. Right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm worried about that. Whereas if there's some fresh blood and some fresh uh, bikes coming out with some interesting stuff, it might help sell some of that extra stuff. I think – I don't
0: know. I'm trying to think what I expect to see at Eikma. Like obviously, the super sport. Maybe we'll see a Scrambler. Uh, I'm really thinking we're going to see like an 800 ADV bike. Those are my kind of like go-tos. Like Those would be the three things I expect to see with having just a little bit of inside knowledge. And that might do it for me. I mean, I'm kind of – I'm kind of waiting for a bike from Ducati that gets me really excited again. I'm like I'm trying to like the supersport. For me, the thing that kills me with the supersport is it looks so much like a Panigale up front. Yeah, yeah. And that like I'm just kind of like ah, like just like I just feel like you've recycled this bike. And There's I would just something a little bit different. Sure, I'm with you. Yeah, um, but it could be interesting. The price going to be good. I'm not. I'm not in that demographic. Uh, yeah. that's not where I'm looking sure, for. So sure. I kind of like have to understand that. But like a 800cc-ish ADV bike, I'm like, that'd be really cool. Because like, you look at me, I put DKCs okay. on my Hyper and sure. I'm out there brapping around. Like sure, I'm like sure. sitting there going like, I'm literally building the bike that I want, or I'm trying to build the bike that I want you to build the bike for, because I'm doing a shitty job of it. And all
1: this me talking about the Honda Africa Twin, if there was an 800cc Ducati variant that had a 21-inch front hoop. D- there it is. Right? right? Yeah. Boom absolutely. goes the dynamite. Sure. And So I'd be
0: that. Sure. that could be interesting. So we'll see. We'll see what comes from them. I'm, ten- I'm tentatively excited, um, World of Ducati Week was awesome. It was cool to see people. I think it's cool that they do that little teaser for people. It sucks that some people snuck in camera phones and took pictures of it and kind of spoiled it. I think there's a level of Ducati that expects that. Yeah, I can't imagine. Cause yeah, I mean the internet and everything. But on the flip side, like I remember when they found out that those photos were out, because Asphalt was one of the first places they were uploaded to. And they were kind of pissed off about it. Not at me, but just like, they're like, oh, man, like, oh, nuts. This is why we can't have good things, I think, is literally the phrase that was uttered to me. And it's just like, you know, yeah, you're right. But also, you know,
1: what were you expecting to happen? But I think Did it is... Did you know about it when the when that picture started to get bandied about? Were you already aware of it? Had you already seen the bike? No. No, I hadn't. Uh, we, were, we went a couple hours later. So when I first saw the... Uh, the picture pop up in social media. It was mm-hmm. a Ducati owner's club. Yeah. And um, I was like, wow, that's interesting. And it started to go like wildfire after that. And I often, I was wondering, I was like, well, you were there. And I was kind of wondering why it took you so long to get. Because I was up. there. That's yeah. why. Because right. I didn't
0: go up to a media center. We were watching flat track racing and I had to get up to I mean, I still had like an hour after it was out, which is kind of crazy. But that's just the nature of it. Yeah, But it, it's, I think it's cool that they do it. I think i think ducati is kind of smart to what they're doing i don't think the super sport is going to be the the big wowie zowie no. reveal so, so it's a like a little
1: little leakage out yeah is not i'm a big not really sure. going to spoil
0: the day. Well, so this is a great thing so so somewhere in between these two trips i went to a pirelli track day at laguna seca and like so like literally we're at the track day and this is like on monday and nathan comes i was like hey do you want to go back to italy and i'm like well yeah of course i do it's like cool you need to be on a plane like 24 hours so i had to drive up to portland get my passport and fly out. oh
1: so you weren't planning on rushing back up here i was... had like
0: three more days planned in california that we had to cut, cut ah
1: short. i didn't know that
0: that's so it's really ducati's fault it's not my fault it's ducati's fault no i get it but that was really cool, it was crazy they and i'm like platinum on delta now so I, I think i get to actually fly the plane the next the next trip <laughs> that's that's where i'm at with miles now
1: Well, you know, the problem with the airplanes is that they don't
0: have kickstands. You know, the funny thing is, because I know where you're going with this, but I'm going to hold off for a second because literally right before I flew back... (laughs) from North Carolina from the FC 10 launch I watched like a YouTube compilation of like the worst airplane landings on YouTube (laughs) (laughs) and the very first one this guy he's like a little Cessna and he comes in and he just bounces like he just like he hits the ground and it rebounds him back up in the air so he like hits the stick and like brings the plane back down but that just rebounds him and he goes and he goes and he goes until the front um landing wheel gear. landing gear just snaps off. Collapses. And it's just like boom, kickstands down.
1: <laughs> kickstands up. Good talks. you out there. Later.
0: One of the things I'm really secure with in my life is how big my dick is. And I don't really need to like measure it out with something else. Like I just gotta I got all my three inches and I'm just fine with that. <laughs> As long as you're know, comfortable
1: with it, you're good, it's, right?
0: It's I got a great personality. That's all I'm saying. I'm really funny. I'm a really funny guy. And I do okay. So, you know, nothing. Nothing going on down there. It's just fine. Let me tell you. Just fine. <laughs> Your little, I, got, I got my little hands. It. You just
1: see his little hands my waving. My little hands. It's all I can work
0: with. I'm like whittling wood. I'm really good at playing the clarinet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right.